Welcome right. to episode 175 of No Challenges Remaining, which is our season six premiere. According to Win, season six, we're doing it. It's still going. It's happening. How it's it's amazing that it's still happening, but it is. Yes, and it's exciting. Happy 2017 to you. How is um, the tennis season early on treating you? We are in separate places this week, and I'm in Auckland. You're in Brisbane, which I'm familiar with. Um, how is everything at Pat Rafter Arena? And thereabouts. So far, so good. We got ourselves a, a Yulia Putinseva hot shot roar combination. That was pretty great this morning. Um, <laughs> we got ourselves an epic um, uh, near three hour match in the heat uh, of Brisbane between Elena Vesnina and Alize Cornet. That was just going to be delicious no matter what. Right. Um, we had a Shelby Rogers upset of, of Eugenie Bouchard, as she is wont to do. I was going to say, is Rogers beating Bouchard an upset or sort of something you can set your clock by? I feel like everyone knows Shelby is is the, you know, chief bagel chef in that relationship. Okay. I mean, people bring this up, and I totally agree. Obviously, Shelby clearly is comfortable playing Jeannie. She beat her once going into today. It's not like she had done this, like, a gazillion times. This isn't like a... Like a Sam Stozer, Lucy Safarova situation. <laughs> so, I guess. Um, you know, she was two and zero. She was two and zero. Yeah, Maybe fair. One other meeting, but, but uh, still. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty good. So yeah, no. So so far so good. Ring in the new year with WTA colleagues on the balcony of the one and only WTA supervising legend and NCR guest. Donna Kelso. I, I've been on that balcony for New Year's. It is a treat. Did it she is have, a treat. It is. Did she have her life size cut out? Did she have her life size cut out of Pat Rafter this time? No, she did not. She did oh, not. Although the only funny thing is that I was standing out there waiting for the fireworks to go down. I was, go- you know, everybody's counting down like ten, nine, eight, and I look to the right at the other balcony right next to us, and I'm like, "Oh, hey, Domi, what's up?" <laughs> <laughs> and it was a very surreal moment. It was like, "Hi." Anyways, I'm going to get back to the fireworks now. Um, uh, as Dominica Spoko was staying next door and who she told me today, she's like, I didn't even stay up until midnight. I'm so jet lagged. They woke me up and forced me to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was falling asleep during the fireworks here and then they were loud. So (laughs) mine was three hours ahead of yours. Uh, Yeah, most people didn't stay up. I mean, Pliskova told me, she's like, I'm not staying up for that. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm going to sleep. So in Brisbane here at 8.30 p.m., they have kids fireworks. So at 8.30, like, there's a huge fireworks display that's just for kids so that they can go home. <laughs> that's cool. So that was helpful. That is good. It's good to, you know, help the kids and the otherwise lame, um, which I am certainly one of. I'm not a big nearest person. But I am very excited to be back on the, on the horse of tennis again. feels good to be back uh, watching tennis balls and getting back to our normal, if you could ever call them that, lives. But before we do that, well... Before we get look ahead on our horse, we have to look behind our horse. You have to, you know, look back to move forward kind of thing. So this will be a Remember When heavy show, which is an annual feature of ours. It's usually in December, but, you know, we had things to do in December. So we're going to do it now. Um, before that, though, we want to bring you an uh, interview I did today with Carl Budge, who is the tournament director of the ASB Classic in Auckland, which is a WTA International and also a... Uh, ATP 250 event, back-to-back WTA ATP events there. Bit of a unique setup, and Carl talks about all sorts of things. And what's been a big year for his tournament has improved quickly. The field here is incredible for a two, uh, for, sorry, for an international-level event. Getting Serena and getting Venus, 
getting Wozniacki Ivanovich um, was going to be there until she retired. Oh, we should talk about Anna Ivanovich. Before we, we should. Do this. Sure. We, okay. we thought about we we saw each other briefly in the San Francisco airport and didn't have time to do an emergency podcast in our short rendezvous there. But Courtney, obviously, you are the uh, a longtime uh, supporter and. I want to say archivist, but that's not a, that's the wrong <laughs> word. A longtime tracker of Anna Ivanovich and supporter all the way back to 42's days. Um, what were your thoughts when you heard she was retiring? Let you go first on this. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think people, most people who listen to this podcast or know about me know my trajectory within tennis, and it is incredibly and entirely linked in a lot of ways to to Anna Ivanovich as my uh, she was quite the muse for uh, for Forty Deuce um, and an inspiration for many of the blog posts. So yeah, when I heard, you know, there was a little bit of surprise only because you know you thought she'd go through a, another another season. You know, it, it really wasn't. You know, as much as people talk about, oh, she's you know ranked outside the top sixty, and you know she didn't do anything. I mean, it was just a year and a half ago that she was in a Grand Slam semifinal, um, and really could have made that final. Um, at the French Open and two years ago that she was, you know, back in the top 10 and, um, you know, qualifying for Singapore and whatnot. And, you know, for most players, especially knowing Anna and, and having talked to her, you know, since I became a tennis reporter and she's always been very, very nice to me and, and very accommodating um, and always honest. But knowing her, I just kind of always got the sense that, you know, she just wasn't one to just kind of throw in the towel that she was going to try every single thing. And, you know, she's incredibly optimistic while also being, you know, a bit fatalistic in ways that only Serbians understand. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I just kind of thought, you know, she would think, well, you know, if I get my injuries behind me, that I can give it one more go. And especially with all of the changes going on, you know, with the, the, the new generation coming through. I mean, there's, there's a lot of opportunity, I think, on the WTA tour, potentially, this season. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I talked to her immediately after she, uh, she did her Facebook announcement and hopped on the phone with her and, you know, she said it wasn't an overnight decision. She'd been thinking about it a lot and, um, and it just became an issue of, of you know, the physical, uh, aspect of the game. Um, you know, her body was breaking down left and right and, and she just couldn't keep going, um, and play the way that she wanted to play. So all credit to her and, and it'll be, I think it's been interesting to see how people, uh, kind of post-mortem her career because there's a lot there to unpack um, yeah. and you can take it a lot of different ways and I think that you know there's at least like five or six or seven narratives that I read that all disagree with each other that I'm like yeah that's probably true uh, and then there's also you know another 15 narratives where I'm like yeah that's that's baloney that that is a reductive <laughs> over oversimplified idiot I mean if I see one more comparison between Anna Ivanovich and Anna Kornikova I will throw my laptop through a window um, don't do that while overseas. I know. Well, I, I packed a backup laptop this time. Okay, so good. Then go for it. Go for <laughs> yeah. it. Um, but yeah, so, so that's kind of, that's kind of, uh, that was kind of my reaction, but, um, you know, I've, I've nothing but, but, you know, good things to say about her. She was a tremendous colleague, uh, at the time that I've been again, a reporter and also at the WTA, you know, it's the little things that you appreciate and I, I'm not entirely sure, you know, people who aren't around these players would would know this or understand it but you remember the players who look you dead in the eye um yeah. when they answer your questions you remember the players who you're walking down the hallway and your head is down looking at your phone and they see you and they say hi anyway you know yeah. like they don't just like ignore you or whatever um the ones that that are honest and and do their jobs and are professional and 
you know, I've been talking to a lot of WTA staff, you know, and, and just the things that everybody has to say about her and, you know, especially this coming on the heels of obviously losing Petra for at least a year, it looks like, um, you know, two incredibly nice human beings that were just pleasures to be around, um, who were very professional in the way that they did their jobs. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a little sentimental. It, 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 uh, it pings the heart a little bit. Yeah, no, for sure. I would say just firstly, I'm a little less surprised than you are that she retired just because I had seen a couple, just because again, we, we talked about this on the last show. I maybe the last show one before how we had expected this big Rio post Rio exodus of players who might have been seeing this as a possible finish line. And although she wasn't necessarily someone who talked a lot about the Olympics, she was somebody in that sort of generation of players, you know, nearing 30 who would be, would might see this as a possible exit ramp they could take. And they were just, for someone having seen her work so hard and fight so hard through all of her career, there were a couple moments in 2016 where I kind of thought that her head or heart wasn't as in it as I was used to. Just a, a match against Chirico in Madrid and a match against when she lost to Vekic in uh, Oof, yeah. Cincinnati. Cincinnati. And so those were ones where I was like, I'm not sure that she's necessarily long for this game. And in a fine way. I mean, she put in – she was a perfectionist in her game, um, which was something that was often at odds with her play. That sounds mean. But it's just she was someone who worked so hard to get through so many issues she had, most infamously her ball toss. And she did such an amazing job – just technically, I mean, people talk about the forehand. The way she learned to hit her serve well off of any toss that went anywhere is amazing. She couldn't fix the toss, and that was fine, but she was like, you know what, I'll just hit the serve from anywhere. Who cares? And it worked. And she became a very, her her 2014 uh, sort of revival, when she got back to Singapore pretty unexpectedly and got sent to top 10 and beat Serena in Australia and beat Maria in Rome. I mean, that was a really impressive rebirth to watch, and that's a, a good sort of note for her or good on a 2.0 high for her to have um as far as like you said personally i was not before i got into the game because she was already sort of coming up before i was on the writing side i just was never honestly never a fan of hers just because i found a lot of the pep and the uh eyeing and the twirling and the whatever sort of grading for whatever reason but then as soon as i got like you said with the eye contact like in the room in a room with her at a press conference it was she won me over immediately she's just like genuinely nice sweet person who is not um you know who does have time for people like you said like if yeah. you're walking down a hallway she'll say hi she was someone who learned my name very quickly which a lot of players still sort of <laughs> yeah. act like they, they pretend they don't know who i am even though it's i mean again year six of traveling the tour full time or maybe more than that and so she's someone who just was never um as much as she might have looked from the outside like a you know billboard model you know glamour diva person she wasn't somebody at all who was full of herself or had her head in the clouds. She was very, very down to earth. And those sort of things on a personal level do um, do matter. And I remember, Courtney, actually on in terms of NCR purposes, one of the first times I'm guessing that you, at least you became aware of me probably mm-hmm. was when I was live tweeting a untelevised Ivanovich match in Cincinnati. Yep. Where she beat uh, Azarenka, I think, in the first round. And you were following along on 40 Twitter. And I was so excited to finally get one of the cool kids on Twitter to notice me. So it was a big <laughs> moment. It really was. You know, I mean, I, I said it, you know, before I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the job that I have. I wouldn't be doing what I do. I wouldn't 
who knows, I might never have changed careers. I might still be a lawyer uh, to this day, if not for Anna Ivanovich. And, and that sounds hyperbolic, but it really is true. And, you know, when you talk, when I look back on like my tennis, um, I don't know, my tennis origin story um, and whatnot, there's a handful of players that really were, were, were triggered my interest in the game. And, and she was probably the most recent one of any player. Um, back seeing her in 2006, 2007, and um, just loving the forehand. I was a big graph person, so that forehand looked so familiar to me. Um, and just uh, the way she conducted herself, and she seemed like a nice person and a genuine person. And, and for the people who have followed me since the 40 Deuce days, they know that my shtick when it came to Anna was that she was a dork who just happened to look how she looked. A baby elephant. Yeah, she was a baby. She was clumsy and, and when she was younger, you know, and um, heavy footed and, you know, uh, and she just kind of grew into this woman who people think is more of a, who think of her as more of a model than a tennis player in terms of like how beautiful she is. Um, but the deep down, she still was the kid who would go to Indian Wells and loved that tournament because she could go to borders and sit in the, the, the aisles and just read books. Like that's what she did in her off days, you know, yeah. and um, and so that's always been, you know, I've always really appreciated kind of like that weird tension that she was this incredibly nice. She just she never conducted herself the way that in the world that we live in, especially nowadays with all the mm -hmm. entitlement and everything like that acted. She had every right to act the opposite of what she was. Right. You know, to the point of your whole thing of like, she wasn't the supermodel diva. Um, she was goofy and she couldn't dance for crap. And she get embarrassed very, very easily. And she was very shy and, you know, all of these things. And it was endearing. So, you know, I'll, I'll always be very thankful to her. I, I choked up a little bit on the phone after our call as we kept uh, discussing um, the decision and stuff off record and stuff. But um, yeah, I'm going to miss Anna. And, and one thing I will add too. Um, which is another thing that really endeared me even more to her is that during the, the prolonged slump, the post-2008 times, when things were, she was really struggling, one of the phenomenon that you, I know, Ben, are familiar with, as we've talked about this before, is this idea of there are certain players, right, for a variety of reasons, who get attention regardless of their results. Right. Um, most often, they are the very, you know, glamorous, photogenic players who the Daily Mail knows that if they can get a quote from this person, they can slap their picture on their newspaper or website and people will click on it and read. Mm -hmm. And because of that, when Anna was not playing well and when she was sucking, she had to be called in to press consistently. It's a and, lot of scrutiny, yeah. Yeah, and had to endure a lot of scrutiny. And I have never seen a player, and there's a lot of players who have to do this as well, um, but I've never seen a player handle that as gracefully as she did. Like she never held it against you. She never gave you a flippant response. She never rolled her eyes and was like, oh, really, you're going to ask me that again? Or, you know, which is a lot of the, you know, it was never an antagonistic thing. Now, because of that, many times her press conferences felt more like therapy sessions mm -hmm. um, than, than professional sports press conferences. But that was part of her earnestness. She she really was trying to figure out what was going on. She wanted to know too, <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I, I have to give her a lot of credit for that because I've seen a lot of players have the same kind of up and down and when things suck and they have to come in and they have to answer questions about it, it is not pleasant. And, um, and Anna's weirdly was, she was always pleasant about it. 
Anna was also the only player, speaking of her press conferences, who ever requested that I sing. <laughs> this for is which, true. For which I give her tremendous props or, you know, have we told that story? That. I assume we have, but in in she won. We were in Birmingham, Birmingham together in 2014. Yeah, and she won it. It wasn't. It was the first year it became a premiere, but the field wasn't that strong. Uh, she won her first grass court title, beating Stritseva in the final, I believe. Uh, and it was in a very good mood. It was a very sort of small town field of that tournament. I mean, it wasn't very many press, and so there'd be you know banter before and after. And she at some point I was holding a microphone or something, and she joked that if she won the title. Uh, that I would have to, we would sing something together. Um, and so uh, she, that was like after maybe the third or round or quarterfinals. And she eventually won the title. And so asked what song she wanted me to sing. And she picked uh, Molitva. Why on earth she would pick a song that's not in English? I don't know. But she picked Molitva, which I was at least familiar with because I'm a huge Eurovision fan. It's the Serbian song that won uh, Eurovision in 2007. And so let's, I'll say in advance, we don't usually do in the opener, but Moli, that will be our outro for this show Aww. in honor of Anna Ivanovich and my test. I didn't even have the lyrics printed out or anything. So I just had to be like, I kind of know what these sounds sound like. It was all. a disaster. <laughs> I feel like I videoed it, but I have to go back through my archives and see if I have the video of it. And then delete it. Yeah. No. Find it. No. Well, I'm especially going to send a copy to her and then she can keep it in her her that's archive fair. that's fair i feel like she's not the type to blackmail so i would trust her with it yeah she's pretty good like that yeah so there's anna that's a very nice remember win on anna ivanovich's <laughs> career and uh before before we get too sidetracked in a, in, remember when intermission here's my interview uh today from the from auckland with tournament director carl budge so yeah how, how just some background on you first carl how long have you uh been doing this and how did you get to uh this position yeah sure so this is my fifth tournament so i've been um yeah in in charge for the last five years of the osb classic um before that i was with the wta as um director of sales and marketing mm-hmm. um out of europe um well london originally uh beijing and set up season in championships in istanbul mm-hmm. um and prior to that was sponsorship manager for the australian open so um i've had a all my adult life uh chasing fluffy balls around yeah, the world me too yeah, so yeah. it's been good yeah so i guess what what are the challenges of or i guess opportunities i think you're at least especially for the women you're in a really good position in the calendar yeah. um everybody pretty much wants to play this week uh how so how conscious are you of that and just how important that is for getting all the players you can you can build a field like this at an international level uh, more or less year in year out, even if this year is better than usual, probably. Yeah, I, I guess for me, man, it's trying to get the best field you can every time you're, you're putting a tennis tournament together. I, you know, the men's weeks for us is pretty hard. Um, you know, there's I think three top twenty players playing our week this year, um, but you, know, you, you just go out and put the strategies you can put in place. Do do the hard yards, and we sort of have a motto here: we might not be a Grand Slam, but if you act like one, yeah. um, you know, you might just be the best international level tournament on tour. Um, and that's sort of been our mentality since day one, and I think you know, we 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 have successfully turned this event into a baby Grand Slam. What does that What does that mean? Acting like a Grand Slam? How does that sort of bear itself out? I think in everything from the food that we serve to the players, through to how we treat the players, through yeah. to you know what what happens on site and in and around the grounds. Um, a, a simple one for me, you know, I, I we've, we've all gone and eaten at the Wimbledon Players Lounge, and yeah, you know, the food's amazing. Uh, that's what we're compared to. You know, I don't. I don't want to be compared to another international level tournaments for food. I, I always use the analogy: if, if you fly business class week in, week out for work, all year long, 
and then you go and fly an economy flight for a holiday, you still think it was a crap experience. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter that you're going, okay, well, I know that I paid for that myself, not you still had a crap experience. So I treat this tournament as the same. If you're, I don't care if Serena's used to playing at Wimbledon, US Open, et cetera, and, yeah. and premier level tournaments, if that's the level of service she gets week in, week out, that's the level of service she should get when she's here. And so if we act that way, yeah. hopefully it, that propels us to the top of the game. So I don't know too much about the rule book from the tournament side, or I haven't looked at it recently, but I know there's different sort of requirements for what you have to do for amenities you have to provide if you're a premier, if you're a premier five, up and on, and, and obviously the lowest level for international. So I guess what are some of those, if you can say, like some of those minimums you have to hit, yeah, and, so what, and how you surpass them, I'm yeah, guessing. Lo- in, in lots of ways, mate, like our, our per diem, so you know, you've got to start hotel rooms and, and restaurant, I think, the, on the Friday before the tournament. We, we start from the moment players arrive. Yeah. You know, from, from the moment they're here, we want to make their life easy. Um, I guess you probably have a lot more players arriving early than most tournaments because your first week, yeah. Yeah, so we, you know, we've had players well before Christmas in the past, mm. um, yeah, and we, we love that. You know, the, for the sake of uh, a bit of money towards hotels, you know, we'd rather players go, you know what, I want to come here, adjust, relax. You know, like for, the, for us, that's really good. And um, you know, we, The beauty of New Zealand is we are a pretty laid-back country, and yeah. Um, yeah, it's a pretty relaxed environment, and the more we can offer that to the players, the more we can... Uh, make them feel in a good space going into the Australian Open. The better we'll do. How, how do you how do you think that sort of New Zealand culture? I heard a lot of good things about before getting here from players and from other people who've been here on vacation, things like that. How do you think that New Zealand vibe can translate into a tournament? Yeah, well, how do you work to do that? Uh, for us, I guess it's just that laid back nature. You know, where everyone's pretty friendly here. Everyone's pretty you know respectful. You know, Serena can walk around at the waterfront and probably won't get harassed too much. Um, you know, she'll be largely left to go and do what she wants to do. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we all might stare, but we none of them will come up and go, oh, can I have an autograph? Or, you know, we're pretty respectful in that sense. And so, um, you know, that, that's just the environment. We, you know, and we take that through all the way through to things like player appearances. We, yeah. I always say to the, to the players, I'd rather get another player appearance out of you next year than try and force an extra one on you this year. Yeah, it's um, yeah. That's sort of been that rationale the whole way through. That yeah, it, let's make this easy. You know, yeah. our, our our advantage over other tournaments is that we can be easy. You're you're not under the scrutiny of the Grand Slam media across the Tasman. You you're not competing against um, you know, a large amount of local players. Um, so you know, you can come here, be the show, and and be as relaxed as possible. Yeah. I guess that sort of scrutiny, sort of being away from it all a little bit, like the rest before the the, the calm before the storm. Absolutely, it's a big thing, yeah. And you know, that's that's probably something you sell to players. I'm absolutely, thinking, yeah. You know, it's um, <laughs> our media here give us a bit of grief for having familiar fields on a year by year basis. That we get a lot of players coming back, and to me, that's the best sign I can possibly have. Yeah. You know, if a player comes here and comes back, you know, what a great sign. We must be doing something yeah. right. And you know, I look at. Our stars this week that Venus, Caroline, and Anna before she retired. Once they came here, they've never not come back. Yeah, and that's amazing. I was going to ask about that. That's a pretty rare thing you had. You could see Ivanovic lined up to play this tournament for a ways out, and then suddenly she. You know, obviously you get pullouts like Del Potro pulled out for injury for your men's event, but having someone completely retire before the event, I don't know how much. How much? How do you? prepare for or you guess you probably can't prepare fully for that or how much warning did you have on that side of, of things I, I, i'm pretty close with anna so yeah. um from traveling week in week out with the tour for as long as i have you, yeah. you become pretty good mates with a few other players and um anna is one of the closer ones so yeah anna was, gave me a heads up and um, i sort of knew that was coming but um i've done this long enough now to know that you're gonna lose someone you know every year something happens um, whether it's they pull out before the tournament or they lose opening night or yeah. whatever whatever it is something happens so you just got to try and you know 
build depth in your field and, and if you prepare for the unexpected then you know, you'll you'll be in a position to hopefully um, you know, kick on. How, how, how far in advance do you start planning for your field for a tournament and what's the what sort of ins and outs of how the recruitment process works when the talks start with the players or the agents things like that? How, a what's a that long process? way for us yeah. so um, you know, one of the players that one of our big players that we signed this year was a two year deal some time ago I, I looked at Rio Olympics as a um, maybe some of the stars weren't going to play after Rio yeah. and so we're like okay well I want to lock in who I think will be leading the tour after Rio yeah. uh, on a long term basis now so while everyone else is still worrying about this year we can be protected in, in the years to come um, and so yeah, one of them was a two year deal from some time ago um, you know Cunha's on year th- three of a three year deal that we signed with her when she was 15 years old mm. um, there's, there's probably half a dozen multi year deals here this year yeah um, yeah, we always try and bring that next breed through. Uh, and we, while we've always got an eye on your Venus, Carolines, and, and Serena's, it's you know, for us. You know, this year we've got Osaka, Kunya, and Ostapenko as sort yeah. of players. We've gone okay. Well, we think these girls are going to lead the tour for the next chapter, and um, and you want to get them to like the place while they're young, absolutely. so they become players for life. And yeah. you know, Osaka's been on a helicopter this week. She's taken my car out to the beach for oh, a really? day. She's yeah, we she's had a great experience, and you know, I. I you, know, you, you never. There's not not always a lot of loyalty in this game, but you know, if, if you're starting from a position that yeah, I'm pretty keen to come back. At least I'm not going to have to overpay players. It's a pretty good show. Trust giving a teenager your car. <laughs> oh, I think her coach is driving, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's. Uh, she, I think she flew a helicopter yesterday, so oh, yeah. she, she's uh, she's she's driven good. my car. She's flown a helicopter. Life's okay. That's pretty good. Um, I guess you have this two. I guess what, just before I get to the point, you have what are the differences between running an ATP event and WT event? If yeah, there are any. Yeah, there, there's quite a lot of differences. Well, you know, the uh, in, a, in a way, it, it's partly probably because of my uh, my time on tour, partly um, the personalities of, of the two different tours. I find the women's one a bit easier, hmm. um, particularly to build the relationship with players. Um, that the, the men's week, as an example, we've got a lot of Spaniards, and so they they often are together a lot of the time, yeah. and so they, to build that one-on-one relationship is a bit harder. You've yeah. got to kind of penetrate the whole group, where... Yeah, for me to go and pick off Caroline when she's sitting in the lounge with her parents, it's yeah. you know it's a bit easier to just rock on up and yeah, you know, how was your dinner last night? What yeah. you know, anything we can organise? Yeah, you know, all of that sort of stuff becomes a bit easier when they're not in those big groups that yeah. the men typically are. Um, but there's it's just the subtle differences that you always have. If um, if one tour does something one way, you can guarantee that the other one wants it done the other way. So it's um yeah, it, you've got lots of little subtleties, and again, you've just got to plan to you know that Thursday Friday when the men start rolling in, there's going to be some changes that you've got to make and you just staff up and make sure you're ready to go okay well we've got to make sure everything was done beforehand so we're we're ready to go to stuff that we know we're going to hit with that we don't know about now yeah. we've got some people around that are, are free from any other tasks are there, they can go and get are there to different it. priorities for the men and women like they have different things that they want done yeah there, there are um yeah there are different priorities just you know, even the way the coaching works you know there's yeah. um there's a lot of guy coaches for um for the WTA and not as many girl coaches sure. so you know that how you configure changing rooms and all that sort of stuff changes yeah. but the, the big one for me is around player appearances because we know when all the women are coming yeah we can plan those on the, on the men's you know at mercy of how they go the week before so yeah, um, yeah it, those that it's harder to do that pre-event um, profiling I guess but I guess it's true I guess looking at your entry list I'd for this year, it's a lot of Spaniards, like usual, and a lot of Americans. Yep. So I guess the, maybe the they sort of travel in packs almost. It's like all the Americans said, hey, we're going to go to Auckland this year, and they just show up en masse. Absolutely. And, yeah. and again, we try and engineer that yeah. as much as we can. You, you know, if you pick off a couple of the influential ones yeah. that 
the others tend to follow. Yeah. You know, and um, we do a lot of that. Um, you know, That's less so on the women, I would guess. Probably. Yeah, correct. Yeah. It, it's, it tends to be a little bit more individualistic on, on yeah. the women's side. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, that planning never stops. You're always looking at that, that next breed. I look, I look at someone like Taylor Fritz, and we signed him in February before he went pretty big this year. Yeah. You know, and... Um, uh, if you if you plan for those things, you, you know, every now and then you're going to get a diamond. Yeah. And you know, we, the week after we signed Fritz this year, he made the final of an ATP event and a semi final the following week. Yeah. And we're sitting there going, God, he's just gone from 200 to you know to 50 odd in the world, and we're pretty happy right now. And, yeah. Um, yeah, just those sort of things. You know, I guess it, it, it helps you, and yeah, you, know, um, you just try and keep an eye out. And we've got to be pretty thrifty in our week. You've right. got to try and always be. We don't have a lot of money to play with, so we've got to find other motives. How um how do you, I guess, uh, work on having the back to back tournaments? Cause not it used to be more common, I guess, on tour. There used to be a lot more sites that would have women one week, men the next. Cincinnati used to do it. Rome yep. used to do it. I guess Tokyo used to do it. They don't have it back to back anymore. How how does that? How does, and Dubai, I guess, is maybe the only yeah, Dubai, one that still has it. Dubai still. I think there's another one. Uh, Monterey isn't that back to back as well. I'm not sure. Maybe. Uh, maybe Probably it's Acapulco. I might be getting that wrong. Um, yeah, but there's not many. So you, anyway, just ha- having the site have to be active for essentially 14 straight days. I guess is, is that not ideal, or is it good to oh, expand awesome. it? I mean, because I know other places have made the move to consolidate those into one week. For, so for us, for us be, yeah. we're sold out pretty much every session. Yeah. So uh, on Tuesday we have two tickets left to sell for the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's we, we're pretty consistently. Last year we were at 90 percent occupancy across the whole fortnight. So for us to condense it makes no sense. We're, yeah. All we're doing is halving our ticketing revenue, halving our food and beer revenue. Yeah. Having a hospitality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, I love being two weeks. We, as I say, it makes us a junior Grand Slam. Yeah. You know, we, we ultimately, for we're a pretty uneducated about tennis market in New Zealand. I, we're, I always sort of joke that tennis is everyone's second favourite sport. Yeah. You know, well, you might be a baseball fan and I'm a rugby fan. Everyone has an underlying interest in tennis, and yeah. that's important here. And we, we've really played up to that, um, and so yeah, we we try and make it much more than just the tennis. And, yeah. I guess having that full fortnight, you can start to justify some of the spend of new areas. Like yeah. we've got, I don't know if you've been over to the serve yet, but you know, that area is amazing. And yeah, it's a it's two hundred thousand dollars of scaffolding yeah. up there to build a flat wow. piece of land. Yeah. Um, you can start justifying some of that when yeah. when you've got fourteen days to, to get the return. I would think so. I mean, I would just think just like you said, halving ticket revenues. I've been surprised, and that would seem to be the trend when like Cincinnati and Rome both condensed to, to one week. And I, I guess I guess you some I guess tournaments... also you probably have pretty comparable men's and women's interests. It seems I heard. It's right that you've sold out the women's before the men's this yes. year. For, That's for the first time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We we have this time round, and um, yeah, I, I guess for us when when we're at at sell out all the time, you can get away with it. I understand other tournaments where they're not having got the crowds through. You can understand a little bit more, um, but yeah, for us while yeah. we while we keep having full stadiums, it makes sense to. Um, yeah, we've got a capacity problem, but it's a good capacity problem. It's yeah. we can't fit enough people in, so. Um, yeah, we're, I'm pretty happy with the... I'd, I'd take a third week if I could. Last thing, I just on, uh, you mentioned the interest from locally. You guys don't have a... There's not a heavy pipeline of, of Kiwi players coming in and you're not a tournament that can bank on almost ever having a native make it deep in the tournament. So that's a big challenge compared to most places where they sort of do... And even here, obviously, you're, you have Marina and Jade out in the Exos. There's, that's a good local hook. But how is that a, a challenge, not having you know players who are going to win a lot of matches routinely uh, be local... You know, flag bearers for you. Uh, that's a real challenge. Um, yeah. You know, Marina's been a, a wonderful beacon for the sport for a, for a long time in New Zealand, and I don't think we appreciate how good she is. Uh, we, we're 
one of the downsides of having a great rugby team like we have yeah. where everyone's mad about us it here is we expect that that's what everyone should be. Yeah. You know, we, those guys win every match they play and we'll, when, you know, if you're not first, you're last. It's yeah. that sort of mentality and we don't appreciate how amazing Marina's done to get to where she is. Um, but not having that pipeline in behind it was certainly challenging. Um, we've had to try and create local players. You know, so you know, we, we call Venus Kiwi Venus. Yeah. Because you know, she... You know, she's loved here. She is our local. Yeah. You know, she's become so, so much a part of this tournament that you know we all think of her as as a Kiwi. Um, and she said that herself in her press conference. Yeah. Yeah. She she's amazing, and you know, I love her a bit. So there's not too many people on this planet I'd, I've got more respect for than Venus Williams. And um, yeah, she's she's just done wonders for this tournament. Will be forever in her debt. But you know, likewise, we've done some smart things with Anna Cunha. You know, signing her when she's 15 and and selling the dream of hey, this is a girl that's possibly a Grand Slam champion and a top 10 player in the future. Yeah. Uh, at Sonia Young, making sure that it's coming year on year, all of a sudden she's got a big following here. We've, you know, that's why we've done so much press with Osaka this week to yeah. try and get the same. That you know, in three years' time, everyone's going, oh yeah, she, we love her. She, she always comes here. She's so nice. You know, we, we have to kind of create that loyalty in a different way. Yeah. Um, but, but you can. You know, it's a, a little bit of focus, a little bit of passion, and um, yeah, it's not always going to be easy. But if you keep at it, it yeah, you. We've, we've proved that you can yeah. can make it work. One more thing, getting Serena here. She hasn't played an interna- she doesn't play very many international tournaments at all. She only played eight tournaments all year last year. How big of a, a coup was that getting her to come to oh, this tournament? I think for us, it's um, we, we've kind of battled to probably get the respect we deserve as an event in New Zealand. Yeah, you know, I don't think we appreciate what it means having a Venus Williams here. Yeah, what it means having a Caroline David Ferrer, etc. That we've had in the last couple of years. Um, I think we've finally crack that with having Serena here you know the, the fact that you're sitting across from me right now yeah. shows how big it is yeah. um, and I'm not sure there's too many other events in New Zealand that can have that power I, I don't know that you'd come to, to New Zealand for any other event yeah. and um, I think that's we, we want to show the power of um, of tennis it's a proper global sport and um, you know that we're we're an event to be reckoned with and um, you know an event that if we do it well we we can play on the, the proper world stage and yeah, we've got pretty lofty aspirations for what we want this tournament yeah. to be, and I think we've got everyone to take notice of that. Well, thank you very much for inviting me to your stage this week. Happy to be here for your show. Good luck with everything. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much, Carl. And now, Courtney, we can start the main part of Remember When. Nostalgia is a wonderful thing. Have you watched South Park at all this season? I'm guessing no. I have not, and I generally don't, even though I think it's great. I just don't have the time. It's like too many episodes. Any Anyway, there's this plot point in the most recent season where it's like, about the danger of nostalgia and there are these things called uh member berries which are like uh, member berries which are like uh, these looks like grapes but they like talk about nostalgia things so whenever like remember when i don't know it's a very that thing for those people not that, that made any sense but if you watch a show you'll <laughs> know what i'm talking about uh anyhow let's do we did it last year in like chronological order i think that more or less worked sure so i need to start off right away with the first thing that i remember about 2016 which being back in Auckland, they're still talking about it, <laughs> is the Brody Ostapenko showdown uh, in the first week of the year when uh, uh, Naomi Brody said that it was this completely like obscure match between two unseated players. Ostapenko um, was not that well-known at that point, even though she had been around the tour a little bit. Brody had been working her way up, and they had this blowout over uh, 
Osipenko allegedly hitting the ball boy with a racket. You hit the and, ball boy you know, with your racket. Hit the ball boy with your racket. It was all so, it was <laughs> so just, good. it was great. And then she yells at her and then Brody yells that at her. Osipenko kind of gives it back and then Brody turns and like cheers, like, you know, pumps up the crowd and it's all excited. It's, it's, it's great. It's, it was something that's very true. An update on this. I haven't heard it myself yet. And if anyone can find a link, please pass it along. Um, Cause I've been looking. Uh, Elena, a lot of the, the, players here do local radio appearances like a lot of them ones you wouldn't think of you know like Ostapenko I think Kirsten Flipkins might have done one um so Ostapenko got brought into uh local radio and apparently they were sort of egging her on about that uh like what really happened with uh, with Naomi Brody and she just like went off apparently on oh this my. whole thing about about how which I really want to hear and maybe we'll just get her on the show ourselves at some point but about how like I felt I was disrespected and I'm not going to stand for that I didn't you know and it's like it was great it was all a little springerish but that's a lot of what I love about sports and bless certainly women's tennis so that's my first remember when Brody Ostapenko yeah I guess my first remember when um would have happened you know that same week but I was in Brisbane um Sam Crawford yeah, that's a good Speaking one. Speaking Chinese in press. I think it's like <laughs> just the, the whole combination. I mean, of everything. I mean, at Sam Crawford, young American player, big hitter of the ball, very hit or miss, but just had the run of her life as a qualifier, ranked, I think, uh, outside the top 125 for sure. Um, yeah. But I'm just looking at it. She she beat Peronkova in qualies. She beat an Aussie wildcard in qualies. She beat Dodan in qualies. Then she beat like Priscilla Hahn, Belinda Bencic, Andrea Petkovic. All that to make the semifinals. Benchich and Pekovic, those were. And big she wins, didn't yeah. drop a set in the main draw, until she lost to to, to Azarenka, and she bageled Pekovic. And Pekovic was like, "Dude, like, if she's gonna hit the ball like that, like, what can anybody do?" You know. Um, but I. It was ultimate training. Yeah, it, it was really ultimate, was. and it was crazy. And she lost in the first round this week of qualies to uh, Destiny Ayava, um, who is destined to become a bit of a thing over the course of the next few weeks. First player born in the 2000s in this century to compete in the main draw of a Grand Slam because she did uh, have a wild card into the Australian Open, but she just qualified here in Brisbane. Um, and a great name, obviously. Destiny's a child. Yeah. Destiny's a child. Who knew? Um, but yeah, no. And then so then Sam Crawford, who's half Chinese, um, was in press conference. And, you know, I mean, there are a lot of players who are half Asian and a or lot full of players. Asian, yeah. like I am. We don't speak our language. Uh, Jamie Hampton does not speak Korean, even though she would like to try. Um, I don't even think Louisa Shariko speaks Korean. I don't she think might. she does. I no. don't think she does, though. Um, but yeah, but then Sam Crawford, because there's a Chinese reporter, Joe, uh, Mad Joe from uh, Sina, um, started was like, oh, can I ask you some questions in Chinese? And she's like, yeah, sure. And just like gave like a f- totally seemingly fluent press conference in, China, in Mandarin to, to him. And I was like... Gosh, I love this sport. Like, there's little things like that. It was, it was, it was nice, and it was a sweet moment, and it was a cool run for her. And it was one of those runs that kind of foreshadowed a lot of really crazy runs by totally un- like random players, which I'm sure we'll touch on as the episode goes on throughout the year, um, especially yeah. on the WTA. So, so yeah, Sam Crawford. Remember when that was a crazy one? Um, my next remember when chronologically will just be a. Uh, obviously a self-centered one on the show but for our kickstarter which ended right at the Mm. beginning of the australian open and was so wonderful um we've gushed about this a lot thank you all once again for helping us with that that was very cool 
and very cool. We're still working through postcards, as we've said many times. There was it's just another wave. We're trying, you guys. Another wave is washing up on people's shores right now. So we got a couple tweets like today, or a couple messages being like, "I got a postcard from you." So yay, glad that's happening in 2017. It will keep going. Uh, we appreciate y'all's patience with that. I did not bring my. I was a paranoid about losing my stack of postcards in Australia, so I did not bring my stack here. So it's I will fair. make no progress uh, during this trip. But hopefully, when I get back in February, more will come out um, good stuff yeah do you yeah, have uh, um, do you have any more before australian open starts um i mean i have one on like the eve of the australian open if okay. that counts yeah um remember when i for like 48 hours before the australian open was set to begin was telling everybody who would listen that i had a really bad feeling about the australian <laughs> open i was telling everyone i was telling carol i was telling reem i told you i told petra yep. like we were and everybody's like what's wrong i was like i don't know man i just something just doesn't feel right i feel some bad mojo and i remember still talking reem's ear off about this like the night before the night before the first day of the australian open and everybody's like nah it's fine you go to sleep and then we wake up and it's like checking your phones. You're like, oh, my God. Oh, the BBC story was the first thing. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. BBC BuzzFeed match-fixing um, supposed expose, um, <sighs> which was a, a bit absurd on, on many different levels. But, yeah, I just – I still think back on that. I'm like, did I just have a gut feeling about 2016? It might have just been some bad dumplings. It's not there is such a thing. I'm not sure. There's no such thing. I mean, so then you're, no probably right. thing. Probably, you're probably right. You're probably right. One quick <laughs> thing, which I forgot, which has happened before. Brief – remember when Shadow before I dive into this? On the Doha final beatdown, Djokovic killing it all one and two. Oh my gosh! That yeah. was like one of the most. That was the one of the most memorable beatdown Big Four matches ever. Um, anyway, uh, like you were saying on the match fixing thing, that one was, it was so frustrating. There's never been I've, I don't know how many slams I've done at this point. I, I don't like around twenty or so, give or take. I, there's never been a slam that got so hijacked by one story A and B, one that had nothing to do with that slam for the first week yeah. anyway. It was just like, what? Like, stop. Like, the the amount of the, it was an incredible feat of marketing, really, the BBC and BuzzFeed. Not that they didn't have, you know, diligent research, but the way they got to blow up and hijack the tournament just doesn't make sense looking back. Like, why Davidenko stories were suddenly the topic of the 2016 Australian Open. Makes no sense. Yeah. So, eh, it was annoying, almost entirely. My sort of remember when from the from the main draw of the Australian Open is about a match that really set the tone for the year on the women's side, which is Vika Kerber, which I just mm. did not see that one coming at all. Like I saw that coming, yeah, probably I think probably probably, like, probably oh, less than I saw Kerber beating Serena. Even I just did. They had just played in the Brisbane final, and it had gone pretty routinely for Vika. I think she won what like three and four or something along those lines. And for three and one, looking back, three and one. So it wasn't that close to final. But Kerber just dug in, and those were just were not the kind of matches she won in her career. But she dug in, beat Vika in straights, and it really set the tone. They replayed it on Tennis Channel uh, in December, and I caught most of it. And just that was really when her number one bid started in earnest was that win. So that was what you well, know, yeah, I mean, the butterfly effect of her year starts with that match for sure. Or maybe I mean, even my, earlier with, you know, save the match point against Mithaki Doi. That's, yeah, that was my remember when. Yeah. Um, was, was that of just like that she had that uh, that match point save um, against Masaki Doi. And I, and I still remember being in Masaki Doi's press conference after that. Mm. And, and just, and, and trying to talk to her about it a little bit because, you know, Ben and I are kind of really big on Masaki Doi. Like she really 
speaking of Anna Ivanovich, um, Masaki Udoi like really impressed us in in that match against uh, Anna Ivanovich uh, back in 2015 yes. mm -hmm. at the French, the French Open. Open yeah. um, and I love her forehand. I love what she's able to do and, and what she tries to do despite being of short stature. Um, and uh, and yeah, trying to talk to she didn't really talk about it much, but it was it was definitely one of those. I mean, when you talk about a sliding doors moment on a season, that might have been it right there. Yeah. In terms of like completely rewriting the 2016 season, if uh, you know Misaki Doi doesn't completely duff that forehand, I believe return into the net on match point. Yeah. So it was um, that was definitely yeah that was just a. A super super crazy one. How, how about this one? Remember when Milos Raonic was up two sets to one on Murray in the semifinals and got hurt? Oh my gosh, yeah. Like Milos Raonic should have made that final. He was completely on his way to doing it and got hurt, which is kind of a recurring theme for Raonic. It happened again in the Indian Wells final, and just generally, well, generally he had a lot of flameouts which which weren't injury related this year. But that was one. He had just won Brisbane. He was really on fire, and he was going to pull off a huge career win at a Slam, and he made the Wimbledon final. But it didn't come with quite that level of, of upset. I mean, he beat Federer, but Federer got hurt. And Federer, you know, was coming back and hadn't played much. And there were asterisks there. But that that one was really, um, that was a depressing watch to see the way that match ended. Yeah, that was that was a very tough watch. That yeah. was awkward. I feel like I was watching it, like, while doing postcards. We were, we, we were working on postcards, exactly, in your yeah. hotel room. I was yeah. like, now I remember. I had that it's night all, off. Yeah, it's all slowly, slowly coming back to me. But, yeah, I mean, the Australian Open from a remember when standpoint, it's a tough one because you're right. I mean, that first week really did seem like it was hijacked by 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 the match fixing story. So a lot of the actual tennis didn't really resonate. Here, here's another second week, remember when, or whole tournament. Remember the, what I think was actually fairly legit panic that Kim Sears might go into labor and oh remove gosh. the Australian Open final from happening? Like yep. the watch that like it was we talked about it. I remember you've been the entire time. You're like, no, stop, shut up about it. We did because we did daily podcasts back then, and then we got to the one that was like the men's final preview, and then you were like, ooh, this could be a thing. There, <laughs> there could be no final. This would be not. This would be. Yeah, we really tough. did think that all the way through. We're like, what yeah. if there's no final? Like, what, what, what's gonna, what's gonna go on? What's Seriously, gonna happen? If there had been no final, it would have been a, you know, overblow. It would have been a huge disaster in terms of the tournament. Just not having a final, not having something to televise in that slot, to have all the people who bought tickets and were flying in, and to have no final would have been really something. And yeah. not that I would have, you know, begrudged Murray's decision. Although if he made it back in time, was the other issue for how far away he was. It was it was just a, a messy sort of uh, subplot to the Australian Open, but everything worked out. Do you remember when Gilles Simon was? took Novak Djokovic to five sets in the fourth oh. round of the Australian Open. God, Novak. I barely like a... remember that, but I remember, you know, it's funny, like when, I, sometimes with matches, I don't remember the match per se, but I remember the emotion. Like that I remember a... feeling many things during that match, but I can't remember the match. That was a, a match full of, you know, E with an accent, emotion, the way people say about <laughs> Alice and Cornet, yeah. because uh, Djokovic hit like uh, over a hundred on four stairs. Yeah. And Simone made him play stairs. Simone tennis and, it was ugly. It was that match, real bad. That match had no alibi. Um, but a match that was not bad to wrap up Australia was the Kerber-Serena final. That was still surprising. I still remember being so baffled why Serena kept rushing net when she had no business doing that. Mm. Remember um, when Serena got beaned by a net cord ball? 
Oh, yeah, that was... In one of the best, like, slow-mo, uses of slow-mo cam, probably of the entire year. <laughs> it was pretty good. Australia does really good, good slow-mo all the time, I feel like. They do. That's their sort of their signature thing. It's interesting. It it's kind of cool how each slam has sort of its own um, style in terms of production. And you, you see sure. all those things come true. Um, anything else from Australia or January before we move on? I don't think so. Okay. How about my next one from the Middle East is just how nuts the results were there the wta and that was two weeks of like literally random number generator results yeah dubai 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 did not go down well no and they had that it was a whole mess we remember we had a clip uh, i think of i think we used on the show of reem our middle ncr middle east correspondent reem abulail talking to the tournament director about the frustrations all the pullouts and there was you know more upset and about especially like Wozniacki especially who pulled out and then went to a swimsuit issue party and things like that and then the champions you got in the end were Arani and Carlos Suarez Navarro which are usually more the kind of champions you get in Palermo not right. in you know those level tournaments so that was strange and not ideal and hopefully it didn't do any lasting damage to that part of the schedule but it was a it was a weird one and just the way I think didn't all eight seeds in one of those tournaments lose first round yep yeah, that's something. Yep, it was uh, it was less than ideal on on every single level. Uh, February, um, but I remember. Oh, I remember Redvanska and Vinci playing a great match in Doha. I want to say. Yeah, I think I remember that too. There were some crazy hot shots like early. Yeah, in the it was I like remember. a crazy good match. But aside from that, it was it was pretty disappointing. And Pekovic had a really good run, and then um, came up uh, lame against Muguruza. I think also in that tournament, Doha was a crazy tournament. A lot of weird things were going on. But the fact that like Dubai, the final was Arani and Stritzova. Yeah. Is pretty. And pretty it wasn't crazy. even a good match. It was like, didn't like yeah, Bar- Stritzova Barbara struggle to get on the little, board. Yeah, she was, she was super, super nervous. BT so. Dove Stritzova is here in Auckland this week. Has a great haircut. Watch Ooh. out for it. I don't know okay. what it'll look like on court, but it looks good off court. Good for her. Fun fact. Um, other so then I'd have nothing before Indian Wells. Um, my obviously Indian Wells was again hijacked, but this one at least more understandable. Oh, I have one before Indian Wells. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Remember when Sloan beat Domi in the Acapulco final, and that was a nutso match. I was gonna say Sloan. I was gonna use for Charleston, but remember we can talk about her now. Remember when Sloan won three titles this year? Yeah. She won Auckland, she won Acapulco, and she won Charleston. And yeah, that match was really that was like a seven six in the third tie break, yep. I believe. And it um, was nuts, and it was so hot, and like tennis Twitter was lit during it. Like everybody was watching it, and it was great. It was a really, really, really great match. It was a great win for Sloan. It was one of those wins where you're like, man, Domi, like that's one that you probably should have had, but obviously she was able to build on it and turn things around um, a few a few weeks later, but. Um, but yeah, the, the the I mean the combination. Remember, in the first like three months of the se- or the first four months of the season, you had Sloan winning three titles, right? Yeah. And then you also had Jeannie making two finals. And you also had, in terms of things that didn't mean anything by the end of the year, you also had a little bit ahead of ourselves, Vika winning three big titles. Right. You had her winning uh, Brisbane, Indian Wells, and Miami. And the all only three, con- yeah, yeah. The, the only constant of the first three months, three or four months that ended up like kind of carrying through the whole year was Kerber. Yeah. And even then she was only, you know, she didn't have a great February. She didn't have a great March either. 
um, started to slowly turn it around in Miami and then got that semifinal in, in, in Charleston. But yeah, I mean, it was the first three months of the season looked really, I mean, Benchic makes a final, Vinci makes a uh, win St. Petersburg in February. Um, Benchic Didn't... cracks to the top 10. In, I mean, it's just the things that happened in the first like three and a half months of the year, like, super disjointed with what the what happened the rest of the year yeah speaking of disjointed my indian wells remember when it's brief <laughs> but do you remember when bjorn fertangelo was kicking Djokovic's ass for like oh my half gosh. an hour yes and got up like four love or something three maybe three love with a double break or something which just like racing away with that match i think he won the first set six two and then came back down to earth but that was like one of the strangest moments in tennis because he was like playing amazing and fertangelo was outside top 100 at that point. I think still is right now. I know he lost in first round of qualies this week in Brisbane. Um, but for like one moment, Djokovic won that tournament and won Miami too. But for one moment, like Fertangelo was the only set he'd lost over a long stretch. And it was pretty crazy. Or the last set he'd lost for a while. I think he didn't lose a single set for a while. But that one moment was very uh, random for lack of a better yeah, word. No, and mean, like every American, I remember, remember there's that like balcony in the Indian Wells Stadium where yeah. players can watch, like literally every American you've ever heard of was out there. I think Mel and Udan like flew in for the occasion. I don't even know if she was in that, in that tournament. <laughs> I mean, that was just such a weird, I mean, remember when Andy Murray could just not let it go with the spider cam? Andy Indian Murray's Wells? obsession with the spider cam and making sure that it is out of his way is like one of my favorite Andy Murray ticks. I'm sorry, Sir Andy Murray ticks. Mm -hmm. And Indian Wells, I just, I think I, I don't think I was on radio because BBC wouldn't have me on radio for Andy, but I was definitely in the radio area. Maybe I was waiting for the match to finish, but he just could not let it go with this freaking spider cam. And Zverev then got into the spider cam thing as well. Remember when Zverev uh, missed that high forehand volley oh, yeah. against Rafa? Um, oh, yeah. That was that was pretty nuts. Um, and then, do you remember the scoreline of the men's final? Oh, it was like two and zero or zero and two yep. or something. It was two and terrible. No, yeah, Djokovic Ronich. And I'll be honest, I watched maybe fifteen minutes of that match because I well, was, yeah, there were other things. It was going during on. the Ray Moore meltdown and Serena coming in and, and blasting him real good. And again, I, I think I plugged this episode before, but our episode that weekend is really one of my favorites for the vault. So I remember that episode being a lot of fun to record in your hotel when we had watched plenty of Broad City earlier that week. Um, sounds about right. Sounds, sounds about pretty right. good. Um, yeah. One other thing, which is before any Wells, but I had forgotten was remember um, the meltdown the Aussies had in Davis Cup against the U.S.? With Kyrgios and Tomic sniping at each other. Oh my and gosh, that was this year. I that feel was like this that was last year. <laughs> no, it was this year. It was it was this uh, March, and um, yeah, it all it started with with Kyrgios pulling out, and then Tomic uh, saying like loudly ranting during a changeover, which was mic'd up about how Nick was faking and wasn't really sick, and you know he'll lose a lot of respect. And then he said, impressed later, he'd lose a lot of respect to her if he played. Um, uh, Indian Wells, considering how sick he said he was, and then Nick, you know, tweeted and deleted several things over that weekend. <laughs> one of which I think was calling me. Well, did he delete the peanut thing? No, he. I think he deleted peanut. peanut. I forget if he kept calling me a peanut or not. He deleted one of the things he said about me, um, and not the other. Um, yeah, and then he, <laughs> and then he tweeted about Nick about sorry about Tomic saying like you know. You know, just don't expect me to have your back la la next time. And said, like, you know, talk about effort. You know, how many minutes was your match again? Something like that. So it was all tremendous and Bless a lot of fun. All. Actually, because I had written something about 
um, Leighton Hewitt and how he shouldn't play singles, which didn't wind up happening. But he might have in the fifth rubber, I don't know, because he just hasn't been good in singles at yeah, all lately. That. And that's what set Curious off. And afterwards, when I saw him in uh, Indian Wells, Isner said, told me that I, he thought I deserved like maybe five or ten percent credit for the U.S. winning that tie, for like planting <laughs> seeds of discord in the Aussie team, which I'll happily accept that token appreciation. I've done so little for U.S. Davis Cup over the years. It's time I started contributing. So. That's you know what? That's My a, country that's needs a, me. That's impressive. You stepped up big. You stepped up big time. Yeah. Um, so that was something that happened. Uh, let's see. Miami. I wasn't in Miami. I don't have... Oh, my Miami thing. Unless you have anything else before that. My one Miami thing, going back to the Ray Moore thing, I loved so much. I wasn't even there. I know you were there. But Nicole Gibbs auditing the Billie Jean King press conference. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty That great. was like a highlight of like WTA uh, girl powerdom. I don't know what to call it. But, you know, just in terms of, you know tear to your eye sit you know legacy stuff that was pretty cool that she would do that. oh for sure no i mean i thought i thought that entire press conference that billy jean king and chris everett held in miami yeah. uh post ray moore to just discuss you know the origins of of equal prize money and and just discuss it as a concept uh, was great and yeah i mean i all props to nicole i mean she 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 sought it out you know like she wanted to be there and when she caught wind of it and um you know yeah I mean, remember when you guys didn't know who Nicole Gibbs was? Yeah, she Nicole, had a pretty breakout Gibbs, year. Gibbsy had a good, I mean, her tennis was up and down, and she'll be the first to admit that um, in terms of the struggles, you know, especially the second half of the season. But um, Remember when know, she beat that, Madison Keys at Indian Wells? Yes, exactly. Indian yes. Wells was a big tournament for her. And, uh, and yeah, and she, you know, continues to kind of, you know, be pretty vocal about herself and, and what she thinks, and, and credit to her because that is not easy. It, no. it doesn't necessarily win you friends um in the locker room um so i mean credit to her yeah she has a first round match in auckland against uh wozniacki <laughs> she was joking um there's a sign here in in auckland that says like any rally of over 10 shots and we start donating money to charity for each shot <laughs> she was like i said i said to her like you're gonna be saving a lot of lives out there in this wozniacki <laughs> match. Uh, i don't even know what the charity is but whatever it is it'll do a lot of good in the world um do you have anything else for Cincinnati or for Miami, rather? I don't have anything. Let me think. Um, There's still more, a lot of Ray Moore fallout there. I remember with Federer talking about it and stuff. Yeah. But otherwise, I don't well, know I mean, Miami. We would be remiss to not mention one of the best quotes of the year. Go ahead. Remember, you guys, remember when ladies know what we're talking about? That was in that was in Andy Wells, but yeah. I know, but like it continued. Yeah. You know, because he had to like hold another press conference, Novak Djokovic in Miami to like walk everything back and he they posted a, he took a picture with Billie Jean and Chris Everett and he did it was so, not a, it was not a good few days of PR for someone for who's Djokovic. usually so solid at that kind of thing and at, at being diplomatic Djokovic like weirdly bungled that whole thing starting in Indian Wells with his first answer just like it was if it is how he really feels and if he is doesn't think if he does think the men should get paid more fine but just the way, and that's but he, that's what he said initially, and then just like kept kind of like not owning it, and trying to walk it back, but not completely. It was it was messy, and so that was something. There was a hopefully... lot of tongue in cheek, like flippantness. Yeah, you know, in the way that he would address it, like it was kind of like one of those, like, I mean, of course I believe in like equal equality, and and it's like, yeah, you're not really answering the question, man, and like you're being, you're not taking this seriously, and by your body language, and you know, and just kind of the smirking 
through some of the responses. Yeah. So, but you know, he he wiped it clean. He did what he had to do. But, but yeah, that uh, there was a lot of that. A lot of that dominated um, dominated both those tournaments in New Wells and Miami, and therefore dominated that entire month of March. Indeed, I went to Charleston where I was and you weren't. First of all, missed you. Remember when you weren't there in Charleston? Oh. And I was sad. Secondly, do you remember when tennis had its own fake news moment in Oh my Charleston? gosh. Yes. This was terrible. Good call. <laughs> when Go the, for it. I think we talked we talked about this at the time on the show, but when some fan on Tennis Forum or some other place on the internet, I think Tennis Forum, more or less just made up out of thin air that um, I think it that Garcia, Caroline Garcia had said something, some ethnic slurs or something ethnically offensive during a match against... Had called Arena Camellia Begu a gypsy. Right, or some in different forms of that a couple times yeah. in the match. And then Romanian Twitter and internet and fa- social media and all these people like went after Garcia hard and just were blasting her and ripping her and a bunch of few like Romanian blogs picked it up. Maybe it got picked up. I'm not sure exactly. It went too far in its coverage for something that had no evidence at all. And people look back, there was no evidence of it whatsoever. WTA took it very seriously. I remember and put out, Steve Simon put out a statement about it, um, a spring of a lot of statements for Steve Simon. And he, uh, and they sort of said this didn't happen. It was just amazing demonstration of how, you know, quickly something can catch fire from the stupidest, false spark and it really did it was the pizza gate of women's tennis <laughs> it really was the pizza gate of women's tennis it was it was the oddest thing and it was one of those moments where you just kind of again it was a lesson that we learned throughout 2016 of like when you see something that like seems actionable or so incredibly like holy crap what if that's your response when you read something on the internet triangulate like if only look before like you find retweet, other yeah. yeah find other sources that are saying the exact same thing source it yourself says who you know i mean not to you know quote that dude but um but yeah you know like like find out instead of just like believe it's like it's like the weirdest thing of like especially like tennis twitter like people are so cynical like ten, you know come on tennis twitter we all know we are <laughs> like really really cynical like don't trust or believe anyone think everybody's out to screw everybody else like whatever but then like the simplest piece of like information everybody takes is like absolute truth like you see a thing you're like oh well that happened you're like but you i thought you were cynical like you should be cynical and you th- should like thing is with double that, check especially with that match which i'm sure was on tennis tv it was on a streamed it was on center court at charleston um if that had happened, it would have been on. There would have been video. Yep. If, if, it, if that had been something picked up by the broad, TV broadcast, there would have been video, and there wasn't. Yep. And so just look for what's there. Look what's not there. Look at you. Don't see people like to toot our own horns. You know, me and Courtney and other reputable journalists out there saying this. If it's just sort of you know on the fringe, it doesn't mean that it's always wrong, but it means that you should wait and just sort of you know just or, wait or just chill with it you know just you can and say you can you yeah. can and feel free to like when people do this and this is always appreciated someone tag us in it and be like hey is this is this thing happen and we'll you know use our connections and source things out for you and that sort of stuff yep. but it was definitely a cautionary thing and garcia handled it pretty well but it was a unnecessary you know roughness that she had didn't bring on herself at all yeah so. and, it, and it lasted with her and you know, I mean, that's the thing with the internet. People, I don't know. I mean, maybe people just don't care what the impact is of, you know, tweets on players and things like that. But but even like the other day, like, you know, people were 
making fun well i'm not going to get into specifics but people were making fun of a player and how they looked in a photo and stuff like that and like we're retweeting the photo which obviously the player was tagged in and da 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 and the player's feelings were genuinely hurt like genuinely mm. and it's just like i mean if you guys don't care then fine i don't care like i mean not that i don't care but like if you don't care that it hurts somebody's feelings then do you like you know you can handle your interneting the way that you want to handle it but at the same time like don't ignore like don't pretend that it wouldn't have an impact like don't think that like your hands are clean right you know and yeah i mean it happens with a lot of players i think players remember when players started to be a lot more open about the amount of online abuse they get especially on the wta you know like you know screen grabbing comments after matches on social media and stuff like that and making it public that's not only a 2016 thing yeah but no it's not it's not just 2016 obviously yeah yeah. i mean it dates back to rebecca marina but um but yeah, it's yeah it, that that whole incident. I felt really, really bad for Caroline Garcia. She didn't deserve that at all. That's a bit of a downer one. But remember when they drove a court on a car on court for Sloan when she won, and she was really surprised. <laughs> that was like a good gift reaction. Gift it was a good gift wrap. It was a dope car. I like that. Car. Yeah, it was cool, and it was like also cool because Volvos are tremendous. I Volvos like saved my life once when a tree fell on our car and or my friend's car that he was driving, and I didn't die, which was great. So I'm all for Volvos. Cool. But like Volvos are also like. Not your t- stereotypical purchase for like Sloan's demographic of being a I don't know, 23, 24 year old woman, which sort of a mom car. But seeing her excitement over it was pretty cool. Volvos are dope, yeah. y'all. Volvos are dope. Um, yeah, yeah, Volvos. Um, I'm not exactly sure remember when, but I'm more of curious. Like this is not just I'm thinking of it. I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but remember when Rafa sued Rosalind Bachelot? Oh my gosh. Where did that go? Speaking of things that were like defamatory. Did he legit sue? Yes. Or is this one of those Tatiana Maria suing the WTA situations (laughs) where it's like, "Mm, girl, I don't think so. (laughs) I know. He legit sued. He legit, there was legit paperwork filed in Paris. In Paris. Yeah. They did file something. I'm just curious. I'm just thinking to myself out loud. I should check back up on that because I have no idea where that stands. Um, Speaking of, and there's also BT Dubs, the Jeannie Bouchard lawsuit still active uh, in terms of lawsuits on tour. So, Plenty of it can be like a People's Court 2017 edition. Just have I a can back-to-back report episode. that Tatiana Maria never sued the WTA <laughs> over her loss to Alize Cornet at the French Open. That was good. Good move, Tatiana. <laughs> <laughs> just like I just remember that day of just like just be like, huh? <laughs> what? We have audio of her press conference in, in an episode of NCR from that. It was it was she had emotions. Um, speaking of emotions, as, as one will have when they play Alize Cornet. Speaking of emotions, um, skipping ahead to late April. Remember when? Are you really not going to remember when Maria Sharapova stood on a drab carpet? Oh, we, I thought we went. That was in Indian Wells. I thought we went over that. You didn't mention it. Okay. Well. Okay, I, I alluded to Indy Wells being hijacked. I don't want to mention it, but like, you know, like okay. I feel like it okay, seems yes. weird if we don't. I can tell the story of what, I don't know if I ever yeah. fully told the story, what I it's don't remember. probably why you don't remember. Right, yeah. because I didn't watch that live, because I was at the moment being sequestered that Monday um, in Jeopardy holding, because I had got, that was the day I got picked to film Jeopardy, and I heard that she had this announcement coming, and my editor was like, hey, you're out in California. Can you do it? And I was like, no, can't. I'm going to be on Jeopardy. He was like, oh, they were obviously fine with that excuse. It was a good alibi. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Sharapova suddenly announced that. And I didn't hear anything about it uh, for a while. I remember Alex Trebek sort of like, because it's sort of a long day if you're in there. I think 
just even for the studio audience there, I think you're there for three episodes in the first session and then two in the second session or something. And he was like, it was a really news heavy day in sports. It was the Sherry Pope thing. He, and I only, I was really tired. I hadn't gotten much sleep the night before. So I only heard like the end of whatever he said about it. He was like, yeah, Sharapova yeah, at, the, at the Australian Open. And I was like, what? What did she do at the Australian Open? Like, I, what, huh? Um, and then uh, also that day, just to finish that earlier thought, Peyton Manning retired that day. And yeah. Aaron Andrews got her like enormous settlement for that um, hotel privacy invasion thing. Um, so all three of those sports news things happened that day. Um, which is probably good for Sharapova to bury it a little bit. But uh, yeah, then they took us, like, escorted us to the Sony Studios, like, staff cafeteria. And there was a TV, and they made us sit in this, like, designated area where they could watch us and make sure that, like, no one was passing us answers or something. I don't know. And uh, there was a TV on the opposite end which was showing CNN. And it had, like, a ticker that was talking about Peyton Manning for a while. And then it had, like, Sharapova coming up next. And I was like, can I go over there and, like, listen to that TV and, like, see what's going on for my job? And they were like, no. And then I was on Jeopardy, lost, um, and then got out and checked my phone immediately and was, you know, getting all sorts of, you know, group text messages about this from you guys and uh, from other writer friends and and still sort of in a daze and sad about Jeopardy first and foremost, selfishly, I recorded a podcast with Richard Ings and then fell asleep. (laughs) And that was my day with Sharapova. Um, That's your day. My day with Sharapova was very different. My day with Sharapova was, so yeah, so like the press release came out, you know, came out from IMG saying that Sharapova was going to do this announcement at this hotel on Monday, right? And I already had a flight booked to Palm Springs, because obviously going down to Indian Wells. So I was like, okay, well, I'll divert my flight. So, but all the flights were sold out. I had to fly that Monday morning. So I had to wake up at like five o'clock in the morning, go down to the airport, hop on a flight at like... 6.30, first flight out to LA, mm-hmm. get into LAX, um, hop in a cab, cab takes me to the hotel. Um, I'm there way early because um, it was still a little while. And so I was like wandering around downtown, like downtown LA and like nothing was happening. It was very weird. And I had all my luggage and stuff. And um, and so then I get up there and then, um, yeah, the press conference happens, total shock. And then- Did you, did you, notice, all... did you notice the carpet before she said anything? Can I ask that question? Okay, the only thing is I did not notice the carpet, but when I walked into the hotel, first of all, I walked in the hotel and I was under the impression that either it was going to be a retirement. We've talked about this. I didn't see this coming. I When yeah. I walked into the hotel, I had no idea that that was going to be her, her announcement. So I walk into, I, I roll up to the hotel and I'm like, this hotel's kind of janky. And then I like walked into the hotel and it was like really big and everything, but I was like, like, I don't know, it just didn't seem Maria. You know, like, why is Maria, why this hotel? And then the escalator, it had two escalators, and one of the escalators, the one that was going down, was broken, mm. and you had to take the one going up. And, like, I was like, why, this elevator got broken escalator? Like, all of it was just screaming, like, this is not the place that she wants to be. Like, you know, like, it just never, it was just not so on she brand. she was punishing herself for making this Yeah, the hotel place. was just not on brand. I was yeah. like, none of, none of, like, so the minute that I walked into the hotel, I immediately was like, okay, so this is not a Sugar Pova announcement. Yeah. Like, because I was very paranoid that, like, I was getting punked a little bit. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, is this just going to be, like, about the chocolate? Like, you know? Um, but yeah, so then all that happens. I sit there on the floor of the hotel on the drab carpet, um, filing my story, file it. And then I have to get to Indian Wells. So I took a bus. 
So Maria Double Bagel, or the Double Bagel, at the Double Bagel, uh, Maria Noble, gave me a ride from the hotel to the bus stop, which was in a real Dodge area. I'm sure. And then I hop on this bus, and it's like a four-hour, three to four-hour drive to Indian Wells. Yeah. On this, like, stinky, rickety bus. And I'm just like, what is my... And I remember just thinking a lot on that ride, just being like, what is my life right now? (laughs) And Ben was sequestered, so I had, like, no one to talk to. Yeah. I was like... Who do I think? And everybody was in the air, like coming to Indian Wells. So like a lot of reporters were just, yeah. So I think I remember like just being on the phone with Carrie Champion for two hours until my battery ran out. <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty tremendous. And but, then you, and then you, and then you recuse yourself from the next two NCR podcasts. So it was that's, that's right. It was great. It was great. Um, yeah. So that, that did, is a thing that happened. I hadn't meant to leave that out, but I thought it was sort of so obvious. It wasn't a remember when level thing. But yeah, those oh, were, that's those true. were, our, that's a good point. Those were our, you know, specific, um, experiences with it. Oh, I remember, forgot to say one other Indian Wells remember when, um, remember when Venus came back to Indian Wells, oh my which gosh. got like totally overshadowed by the Sharapova thing. The Jackson 5 song. That was a great moment. Her walking out. Yeah. Key, I want you back. Seriously. That song that choice was amazing. Was... That song choice was amazing. I remember crying. I remember Venus's smile being so big. And I remember her like sitting down in her chair and like soaking it in. Yeah. Um, that was a great moment. It was such a great moment. And I feel like it was just so overlooked for a lot of different reasons, but um, it shouldn't have been. It was really cool. And it's on it's on the interwebs. You guys should go and like look it up and just like watch be... it and rewatch it. Yeah. It's like an, it's a good feel good video. Venus's walkout. Our memories are so good that we actually remember way too much stuff to fit conveniently in just one episode. So I'm going to cut off this episode here, episode 175A, and we'll be back with 175B with the rest of our 2016 Remember Whens a little bit later. See you guys for now. We hope you return for the continuation. Just like Venus at Indian Wells, we want you back. Do, 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 do. Yeah, he is.